Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Vinyl Detroit Podcast. This is episode 19. It is a uh, two-part uh, discussion with Mike Schulman of Slumberland Records. Uh, I've been a big fan over the years. I have quite a few Slumberland releases. And uh, this was a, a, a very nice conversation that we had back in the uh, fall of 2022. Uh, took me a while to get this episode done. It turned out to be a two-parter because of, really, frankly, it was a really, really good conversation. I couldn't, I couldn't remove anything, to be honest. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with Slumberland Records, uh, Slumberland started in 1989. Uh, really got its start on the East Coast with uh, some of the DC bands, some of which Mike was involved with. Um, Big Jesus Trash Can, Whirl, uh, Black Tambourine, as well as Velocity Girl and others. Uh, the label really started off as a, inspired by a lot of those uh, great labels of that time, like Bus Stop, K, even a little bit earlier, the Postcard uh, Records. And uh, really, really, Slumberland has been, in my eyes, a, a beacon of, of independent music over the years. Uh, as you'll hear during the, during the episodes, uh, there was a time where I was not as into music as I am today, uh, raising kids, uh, family, all that kind of stuff. But when I came back, I found that you know Slumberland had been very active, and really even even more so, I would say in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of a lot of releases coming from Mike, uh, a lot of reissues that have been just fantastic, and um, this is, was a really good conversation. What made it even more special was uh, I had a, a, a one-time co-host that uh, was gracious enough to join us, Glenn Donaldson of the Reds, Pinks, and Purples, who happens to be on Slumberland, uh, is from the same area of the country as Mike, where Slumberland is is really domiciled. And uh, Glenn really brought a, a really neat perspective to the discussion, uh, seeing that he is an artist himself and on the label and, and seems to know Mike pretty well. So with that, uh, I don't want to spend too much time talking because the episodes are just fantastic start to finish. Uh, so I'm going to stop here. We're going to turn it over to the discussion that I had with Mike Schulman of Slumberland Records. And again, I was joined by my very special co-host, Glenn Donaldson of the Reds, Pinks, and Purples. Let's go ahead and sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy these episodes.
Okay, so welcome to this episode of the Vinyl Detroit podcast. Uh, one that, uh, for those of that, for those of they who are involved, will know this has been a long time coming. Uh, we've had some scheduling issues, mostly on my part. Uh, had a couple illnesses, had a had a voice exit one one time, and um, so it's been a real challenge. But um, very special episode. Uh, obviously, it's special because of the guest, uh, Mike Schulman, the uh, one of the founders and the uh, Papa Slumber behind Slumberland. And um, my other special guest today is a previous guest on the show who I asked to join me in speaking with Mike, and that's Glenn Donaldson of the Reds, Pinks, and Purples. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. All right. So, uh, yeah, so we've been trying to figure out the before we hit record uh, what Glenn's role is. And we've uh, we've ended up somewhere between Andy Richter and uh, Phil Hartman, with a little dash of Flavor Flav in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, he's going to be joining me today. He's got a couple questions that uh, that he was planning on asking Mike, and I think they're fantastic. Um, I've got some as well. And uh, Mike, great having you. I'm so excited. Thanks. I'm glad we finally uh, were able to make this happen. For sure, I've been I've been creeping around all your bands, and so uh, one day I just reached out to Mike and I said, "Okay, you know what? It's time," and uh, so I'm really happy we could do this. So, um, coming into this, we heard uh, one of my favorite uh, tracks on Slumberland, and probably you know one of my favorite tracks ever. That was uh, my forgotten favorite by Velocity Girl, um, which I didn't realize until I don't know a couple of years ago that it's somehow included in the on the Clueless soundtrack. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, royalties must be uh, flushing in, huh? Um, that was that was after my time. <laughs> uh, I, I believe our friends at Sub Pop can can elucidate on that. Oh, but um, lucky guy. Yeah, how many how many artists uh, got away like that? <laughs> A lot. <laughs> yeah, that's that's Let's question. Start there. Yeah, yeah. that's it's, question number eight. <laughs> it's 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 yeah. all good. It's all good, man. We're we're not jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Could always be worse. Yeah. Um, so I guess you know, for those of you who uh, who seem to be living under a somewhat large rock, uh, who have found this episode or found this podcast, and are not familiar with Slumberland, um, first off, I-, I don't know how you've gotten through any of my episodes because it seems to come up during every one. We've had uh, previous Slumberland guests like Rocket Ship, uh, Christopher Porter was was kind of a Slumberland artist somewhat. He you can go back and listen to that if you want. But um, for those of, of, of the listeners who aren't familiar with the label, uh, would you mind giving us just a little, little background on, on the start? Love to know kind of how you guys kicked it off. The origins of the name, that's actually one that I personally would really like to hear. And I'd also like to hear um, how you got your nickname. Oh, Kid Frostbite <laughs> or Papa Slumber? <laughs> pa- Papa Slumber. Come on. I didn't, oh. I didn't I didn't even know about it until the umbrella said it. And I, and I said, oh, yeah, Papa Slumber. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think it'd be great to hear uh, that that I'll start with that because um, I'll take them in reverse order if I can remember. Uh, Papa Slumber came from uh, Stuart from Boy Racer, Stuart Anderson. Sure. And uh, when they came over to tour, um, when we put out the first album, I drove the band around um, the U.S. and I had booked this completely ridiculous, the kind of tour you book when you've never actually done it and you <laughs> completely underestimate the distances and the time to travel and how wrecked you're going to feel after every show and you know the weather. I mean, just I made a big mess of it. But um, they called me Papa Slumber on that tour. They were really young. Um, they were all, you know, kind of late teens and uh at that point I was, you know, the ripe old age of like 27 or something. <laughs> so I was there, I was the papa. Um, yeah. Uh, how do we start the label? Well, um, back in the mid eighties, when I went to university at university of Maryland, um, I met up with a bunch of people kind of through the radio station and just through going to shows and we kind of had a posse of friends and at some point we all just kind of got the idea to start playing music together in various combinations um there were you know probably six or eight of us that 
kind of coalesced into two or three different bands, um, Big Jesus Trash Can and the Goddard Democrats and Powder Burns. And then later those bands, uh, Big Jesus Trash Can became Whirl and the Goddard Democrats became Velocity Girl. Powder Burns remained Powder Burns. Uh, Black Tambourine uh, kind of cropped up as an outlet for the more pop stuff because uh big jesus and the goddard democrats were kind of like more noise bands um mm-hmm. that's sort of like the one of the things that we all had in common was that we were all into the birthday party and um kind of like the lower east side uh noise scene like on the unsane and the dust doubles and circle x and those sort of bands and uh Head to David was big for us. So we were um, kind of all into making a big racket, but we all really liked pop stuff too. We really loved the Flying Nun stuff that was coming out at the time. And we all had really loved Postcard and kind of the early, uh, like kind of rough trade, fast sort of stuff and some of the popular factory stuff. Well, all the factory stuff. I mean, I love Joy Division and, you know, New Order, but we love the distractions and, bands like that um love galaxy 500 that was a big influence um so we were all you know playing shows and trying to figure out how to be in bands and how to make music and some some of the people had played before um archie from velocity girl was a great player and he had been playing guitar for a while um kelly who was in velocity girl and powder burns um he was a great player you know some of us had never picked up an instrument before at all like pretty me and rob from big jesus and dan and you know some people were kind of in between so basically like the music was pretty primitive and our (laughs) goals were pretty modest and uh the idea of documenting what we were doing seemed really important Um, we were putting out little zines every now and then, and just like weird flyers that we would drop around town that would have a list of the different bands, various shows for the next couple of weeks. Um, and, or just weird shit. Like we made weird powder burns flyers that had just like pictures of, I don't know, like Michael Jackson and his monkey, um, with powder burns written across it. And we just kind of (laughs) drop them in the record stores just to confuse people. Um, so I, somebody, I think Archie maybe, or Kelly, uh, bought a four track cassette recorder, um, you know, one of those little task cams. And, uh, we all just kind of started tinkering around. We shared a practice space and we all kind of shared the same gear down there. Uh, and it was always set up. It was in the basement of a house that a bunch of us lived in and people just go downstairs and bang around and we recorded a bunch of things. And, um, we back in, I guess this would have been mid 1989, kind of into the fall. We just decided, Hey, let's put out a record. Um, I worked in a record store. Archie worked in a record store. Well, Kelly did too. Um, and the seven inch scene was pretty happening then. Like there were just like weird, you know, like Treehouse and sub pop and amphetamine reptile and, and just a million, you know, there were a million labels putting out singles so we got the idea that we were going to put out a single, uh, a compilation seven inch kind of show the world a little bit of what our bands w- was about. And, um, and well, heck that's what we did. <laughs> and because a couple of us worked in record stores, we kind of knew a little bit about some distributors that we could approach with them. And, uh, you know, we knew some people who did labels locally. So we asked some questions like, how the heck do you actually make a record? Um, Cause I really, that part, I really didn't know anything about. And um, I didn't know anything about studios or mastering, or I, I still barely know anything about that <laughs> stuff. Uh, so, you know, yeah, that's kind of how we did it. We kind of put that single together. Um, the, what kind of heaven do you want compilation that came out December 89. And then we sort of had a plan to do this comp. And then each one of the bands um, world velocity girl, and black tambourine we're going to do a a seven inch and then maybe that was it like maybe we were going to kind of knock it on the head there we didn't really have a big plan to keep things going um we just wanted to sort of document each band give people a flavor of it and then who knows just see what happens and that's kind of sort of what we did for the first year or so but 
we were um, dazzled by our success and wound up <laughs> kind of reaching out to some other people whose records that we really liked. Uh, some of the bands from Providence, uh, like Small Factory and Honey Bunch mm-hmm. and uh, Swirlies from Boston. And we just sort of started making, you know, as we played more shows and people started playing shows out of town, we would meet other bands and we kind of found just some like-minded people. And um, it kind of grew from there a little bit, I guess, you know, we, we, yeah, we sort of just kind of got the idea, oh, maybe we'll put out other people's records and it'll make it seem more real. Um, And uh, I guess it does make things seem a little more real. (laughs) And so where did the name come from? Uh, that came from a, a comic strip from kind of the early 20th century called Little Nemo in Slumberland, um, which was done by a guy named Windsor McKay, who uh, he was a, a true visionary, really. It's an amazing comic. It's just kind of surreal and kind of trippy and it's like kind of psychedelic, you know, avant la lettre. Um, it's just really cool. Uh and it just seemed to kind of capture the the weird vibe that we were going for. I mean, this this is the uh, this is the era too when um, a single could represent an entire universe. Like a huge shift could happen in the course of one single like EP with two songs or four songs. Yeah, I mean, singles felt very significant to me, and um, you know, there were always like a big way of how I interacted with the music that I liked and how I found out about new bands. And, um, you know, doing that first batch of seven inches was not definitely not just a, a, a lark, you know, a coincidence or just, you know, like a cheaper way of getting our music out or trying to jump on the seven inch bandwagon or whatever. Um, we were all really in the singles and what they represented and the idea of, you know, putting your best songs in one place and just saying hey you know this is this is what we're about today you know um so did you have a did you get an immediate reaction from from like the west coast and england and stuff like that or um, did it take a while i don't really remember exactly <laughs> it, it happened more quickly than I expected, considering the nature of that first single and how kind of fucked up it is and how I think it's it's a little forbidding or it's just weird, right? It's just a weird sounding record. Um, and it's hard to hear it without thinking about everything that's come since. But um, we sent out loads of copies and you know, we made a thousand of them. And I, we must probably sent out like 250 or 300 promos because cool. I really that was kind of the goal was just for people to hear it um and maybe be able to get the band some shows or get people interested in hearing the singles by those bands that might come you know come out later for people um, listening that um, for people listening that amount of promo is it actually an entire pressing for a lot of bands <laughs> I know totally totally I mean it 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 definitely seemed gratuitous but um you know, there were so many magazines to send things to now, or then, you know, we sent them to Flipside and MRR and, you know, Option and, and just a, a million different people. And, you know, we sent them out to radio stations and we sent them out to all these distributors. We sent a bunch out to individual shops, uh, you know, with a little note to to give us a ring with my, you know, my home phone number, like call me up. With, with your records. mom's, yeah, your, your mom and dad answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know surprisingly like thinking back on on what an unusual artifact that record is and how there's not really a i feel like there's not a ton of records that really sound like it and it didn't really there was no scene for it to fit into at the time um which was something that we felt you know pretty keenly was that our bands were like a little bit out of step certainly with what other dc bands were doing but just kind of anywhere i mean that's one of the reasons we did it ourselves is it just didn't seem likely that anybody would really be into it enough to want to get behind it. Um, hmm. And it was just surprising. We, you know, we got some really good reviews and um, some puzzled, but interested reviews. And people were <laughs> like, I don't really get what's going on with this, but I want to hear more. And that was pretty much all we wanted to hear really was let's hear more. <laughs> wow. I mean, what an unusual start, you know, I mean, like if you compare it to like a Sarah who came out of the gate with the sea urchins and I mean, a classic, of course, and and then to have something that even the person creating, it's like, I don't really know where it fit. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. is, is, I mean, it could, it could have been, I mean, obviously it isn't, but it could have been like a one and done and, and no one ever heard from, from that label. I mean, you may have heard from the musicians, but never heard from that label again, but it didn't happen. I wonder if it's because of well, the 150 I mean, promos. Yeah. I mean, to be totally clear though, like we thought it was good, yeah. you know, like okay. we, like it was exciting to hear your, ourselves recorded yeah. and, like I certainly the the songs that I participated in, like I was jazzed about it. I was like, holy shit, like I made a record, you know? Right, right. Like I went from being a person who listened to records and loved them to being a person who made records. <laughs> kind of, you know, without any of the 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 way station in between, you know, the pesky things like taking guitar lessons when you're a kid or whatever. <laughs> I didn't do any of that. I just like I loved records and then I made a record. And at the at the time I was like pretty high on it i was like this is so cool i can't believe we did this you know we call we even uh we even tried to call roger shepherd in in new zealand uh i don't even remember like whether we just called like the operator in new zealand (laughs) and then called and then asked for the phone number of roger shepherd and like well to be fair (laughs) that he probably would know his number (laughs) yeah but uh yeah we were just i mean i I denigrate the, the record a little bit just because it's not, you know, because it's kind of primitive, but I, at the, you know, I, I love it still. And we were really excited to present it to people. Yeah. It still holds a place in your heart for sure. Oh, you know, one, one thing that, that was unique about you that, that a lot of the other labels weren't was the fact that you were a musician yourself. And, and, and it seems like a lot of the labels, I mean, they're, they're, I don't be a good example of this, but they're almost like the coach of the team. You know, they're, they're, they're just not really like a, a good player, but they maybe know how to play and how to motivate and things like that. So on your side, I mean, you were a musician first and then the label came after that. I, I guess, did that, how, how does being, how did, how does and did being a musician really influence, you know, the artists that, that you've selected over the years? Um. Yeah, I'm still stuck on the fact that that you're calling me a musician. (laughs) Come on, you are. I mean, I guess so. I make music, therefore I'm a musician. Exactly. Um, (laughs) You know, I don't know. Best kind of musician. Right. (laughs) Right. Uh, You know, I'm not really sure how how much it's really informed what I do. I mean, I hope that, like, I try to think of us, like, all as being kind of in it together, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like, I'm in it with the bands, the bands are in it with me. Like we're all kind of trying to tell this story together about the music we're we're trying to make and the music that we love and the records that we love and trying to make records that we all love. And um, I always felt like making music myself felt like important to me to be a part of that where I'm not just like the guy who does the records and or the guy who like calls up the pressing plant when things are late, you know? And, and, it's it's a community you know by design and mm-hmm. a community by choice and i've you know i feel like if i wasn't also making records you know every now and then i mean i'm not that active playing music right now but um i feel like i wouldn't if i wasn't involved in making music myself i wouldn't really feel fully a part of it like mm-hmm. i'd almost feel like an outsider in, in my own label um i like yeah. that idea of storytelling um like group storytelling because mm-hmm. slumberland definitely has like reoccurring characters like throughout the years and and i like how you gather people up for your when you do a slumberland fest or whatever um uh yeah i just want to throw that in there yeah i mean i'm i'm, I'm glad you pick up on it as being a story because that's that's something that um I had a i had a record store back in the 90s and i used to talk to my partner about that kind of thing a lot about like trying to do more than just put records out you know have things be in the racks but have it be more of of an experience you know and have i mean yeah you can just go out and buy a record and enjoy it and i mean i'm sure there are plenty of people who you know buy a slumberland record who might not be fully cognizant of the whole story that we're trying to tell and that's fine too but i love the idea and that i mean that's how i definitely obviously postcard you know Mm -hmm. like it was almost like a story first and records later. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I felt that way about fast and I felt that way about K like the records that inspired me and the labels that inspired me to, to feel like we could do this, you know, they were all storytellers as well. And um, 
I just think it makes things really interesting. And, you know, there's a place for the other stuff too. And I buy lots of records from labels that my, maybe I don't understand the story they're telling, but I love the <laughs> idea that somewhere there's somebody who's kind of lining these up and is like, oh, I get, you know, I yep. see that there's something happening here. I think that's, I think that's really cool. I mean, yeah. And, and I, and I, I, I don't think I've picked up on the story to be completely honest. You know, I've, I've obviously looked at the label as just, you know, one that's, you've always released just really good stuff right in my wheelhouse, that kind of thing. But maybe it's just because I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's, maybe a, that is the story. Maybe that know? is the story, I, which is a good story, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, Glenn, you want to, you want to take the next one? Uh, let's see. <clears throat> I think he kind of answered that first one. I, I, I okay. brought, um, yeah, well, let's I don't see. Know. Yeah. Like, so yeah. How did you find yourself? I mean, I've seen you play guitar and, and, uh, you know, we could put that in air quotes if you want, but um, <laughs> how about, the, how about it's, the guitar plays me really. <laughs> so yeah. How did you figure out how to take that, that impulse that you initially had with big Jesus trash can and world. And how did you take that, that impulse to like impulse to make noise and kind of figure out how to put it in songs like to talk, talk about that yeah moment. yeah i mean it must have been exciting you know it was exciting it was like a, a pretty crazy journey that we all sort of took together because every all the members of whirl i think all of us maybe brian had picked up a guitar a few times but pretty much none of us had ever played an instrument and uh, it initially started out just being Rob and I. Uh, we lived in the, the same dorm and used to hang out a lot. We were pretty good buds and we listened to records a lot. And um, <clears throat> we went and saw the Mary Chain together when they uh, toured on Psycho Candy. They played in DC, mm-hmm. kind of like the record had just come out in Europe, but it hadn't come out in the US yet. But, you know, we were total record nerds and of course you know we had the import album and loved the singles and went and saw the mary chain and we just like kind of looked at each other after the show and we're like okay let's start a band tomorrow and that's what we did and you know our original thing was going to be like we're going to sound like you know bad moon rising sonic youth which was their current album at the time and we loved it like bad moon rising meets psycho candy like how can we make this happen (laughs) and uh (laughs) You know, Rob had an acoustic guitar and he bought a little uh, Boss Dr. Rhythm drum machine and so we could tap out some beats. And we really just kind of mucked around on it. And, um, you know, then we got my friend Dan to join to play drums and we played as a three piece for quite a while. And then Brian joined, but it was just kind of, I think, this experience of just kind of learning how to play the instrument. And when I first started doing uh, playing guitar, I had every, I had it open tuned because I was just even too intimidated to think about learning how to play proper chords. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like something I, I couldn't do. Um, so tuning the guitar properly and teaching myself, you know, A, D, G, like just the most basic stuff. And that's still like pretty much more my skill set lies, <laughs> but um you know, I think a lot of it too was kind of re- trying to reach for the other, all the other music that we loved and trying to not just be the unsane, not that there's anything like minimal about that. I mean, trying to be the unsane was hard and they're amazing mm-hmm. at what they do and they were incredible. But, you know, trying to figure out like, how can we make pop songs? Like, how can we go from having, you know, our, all of our songs were kind of named after the band that we thought they sounded like we had our loop song, our... <laughs> you know, our Gordon song, like kind of all, you know, that's sort of how we named them when we were rehearsing them. And we were trying to figure out how can we have our Galaxy 500 song? Like, how can we have our Mary Chain song? And um, it was sort of our our struggle to kind of harness our our lack of abilities to, to write those kinds of songs that kind of led us in, in that other direction. And, um, you know, and then, then we have Black Tambourine going as well, which was more explicitly, you know, trying to write pop songs, you know, trying to be like the shop assistants, really, which was like our favorite band. And, um, you know, trying to come at it from that side. And uh, it's just sort of how it worked out. You know, we kind of were able to increase our our, <laughs> our limited abilities enough to to sort of 
make a, a facsimile of the stuff that we that we loved <laughs> <laughs> to make it look like you knew what you were doing yeah kind of i mean it was funny because after that first single we started going into real studios to make records um we went up to New York to work with Wharton Tears, uh, mm -hmm. Powder Burns did because he had like produced Pussy Galore and he had done the Swans and like we loved those bands. Um, so we're like, well, let's just call them up. And you know, we actually we went to the library and got the um, the phone book for New York and <laughs> just looked up Wharton Tears, called his number and we said, hey, you're the guy who makes records, right? And he's like, yeah can we record there's definitely and, only one weren't two yeah. in the <laughs> world there was really only one in the phone book and it was just funny and uh you know we went up to record with him and <laughs> his it was just funny because we just really had no idea what we were doing and you know we kind of like set up as if we were having a band rehearsal and we had these dinky little amps and this dinky little drum machine running through this little rolling cube amp and it was just our our gear was just so ludicrous and we just set up and started you know pounding away and it was like 10 in the morning and we were already drinking beers and just <laughs> jumping around in his studio and he's like what are you guys doing <laughs> and we're like surely this is how the swans make their records right you know it's like not exactly <laughs> he's probably like i wish you wouldn't have found me in the phone book <laughs> <laughs> i think he was amused i mean we came back yeah. and and uh, big jesus did some stuff recording with him and you know he, he was kind of bad by then he was hip enough to be like have you guys ever thought about doing an overdub and we're like wow what's that you know <laughs> that's funny i love but it but i you know i think recording with with people like that and and um we did uh some black tambourine stuff with this guy barrett jones and in, in virginia and there was this guy trip who we recorded with um in suburban maryland somewhere who did a lot of hardcore stuff like he did i don't know, like the quicksand record or something the first one uh shelter i remember he had done the shelter album uh and uh working with those people was would actually like pretty instructive in helping us kind of get our heads together about how to arrange things a little bit and how to make a little bit more sense out of it yeah. um because I always, you know, I, even now when I have a band, I think about recordings. Like I think about that's the goal for me is to make records, not as much to play shows. I mean, I like playing shows, but um, I'm a record guy. So when I, when I think about making music, I always think about like, what kind of record is this going to be? You know, like, how will I make this into a record that can, that can kind of capture it? That subject's come up quite a bit here, you know, over my, over my episodes that I've done. And, and I seem to have, I had a pretty good thing going with, you know, most of the artists were either studio leaning or live leaning. And um, it, it seems like for the most part, you're one or the other. Now you can do both, of course, but generally it's like you do one or the other. One or the other is more satisfying and enjoyable. Right. Like, and, and certainly, I mean, I think there've been bands on Slumberland that kind of go both ways. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I feel like there are some bands who, you know, probably, I probably won't name them, but I, you know, I feel like the, the magic of their live shows, I don't feel like was ever fully captured on record. Sure. Um, and sense. vice versa, you know, I think there are bands who make records that are so incredible and it's just pretty much impossible to really put it across live. Yeah, um, you had to pull it off. Yeah. So um, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and, and take a little break here. I mean, Mike, it's great having you, Glenn. It's great. Very insightful questions, by the way. <laughs> we're going to take a listen to a, another one of my favorite Slumberland tracks by um, a, a band that, I, I, I don't know, like I guess in my eyes, and this might, this might not be fair, but who I felt was underrated. I, I always kept coming back to them. Uh, we're going to go ahead and hear a track by The Ropers, and uh, the track is called Revolver. Yeah. 
song. <laughs> Isn't that a great? Oh, God, I love that. You know what? Now, I got to ask you a question. So when you were in Maryland, Vinyl Inc. was a store, right? Yeah, I worked there. Is that the one that was like you took stairs upstairs? Yes. Uh, okay. That was the location before I started working there. They were upstairs. Um, and then they moved maybe two or three blocks a little kind of farther out of D.C., mostly more or less on the same street and had a bit much bigger location, like a regular, you know, street level storefront. Yeah. I've, I've been there and, and, you know, and I think the the tie in here is that the song we just heard uh, by the Ropers, I think I actually bought that CD at vinyl Inc. One of those locations. I don't remember. I don't remember which one, but I bought it there. <laughs> yeah. That would have been the street level. And you, you might've bought it from Mike from the Ropers maybe because he was, <laughs> he was working there. That must have, that must have been funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's probably like, yeah, these guys are all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you should pick that up. Why not? <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's actually it's just it's okay. <laughs> so you know, I I was just in preparing for this. I I spend quite a bit of time just reviewing all the history and the releases and and you know, I guess I I I had kids back in two thousand three, two thousand five, and it seemed like when that happened, I I kind of I kind of stepped away from the music scene. And then I came back once my kids were a little older and then I looked, I looked back and I'm like, holy crap, like Slumberland's had like hundreds of releases. And so, I mean, it's a very, <laughs> it's a very big catalog. Um, and, and, and from looking, looking it over and, and obviously being familiar with quite a bit of it, it's a very diverse catalog. I mean, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it defies being pigeonholed. I would say at least from somebody looking at it where I do. Um, if, if someone were interested in hearing kind of like what the label's all about, if there's like a release that kind of points to what what you've always tried to do, and, and it doesn't mean it's better or worse, but it just kind of defines the label. Is there one? Um, <laughs> uh, yes and no. I don't know. I mean, I, you, I can, just say, of, you can just say my records. If you I want. was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> obviously uncommon weather um <laughs> no i i think maybe uh veronica falls waiting for something to happen album yeah. Yeah. um i just i remember when when i got the the final you know masters for that and i kind of felt like it was almost like a category killer you know it was like this is the best record of this style that i'm ever gonna hear yeah you know, like what else could you do with it you know right. it just kind of felt so perfect and so um just so well-timed and it was just so like elegantly put together and it's just it's amazing you know i, I mean that would certainly if i had to pick one like i sure. would say I, I couldn't pick a better one than that to right. have it represent the label so what you're saying is you don't like uncommon weather <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we'll it's a little it uncomfortable we'll to talk it, about uh, that now <laughs> we'll put it a hot second <laughs> yeah i mean that glenn he's all right you know i don't know <laughs> um no that's a great answer and and you know i again that's one of those acts on the label but what that... would you pick brian like which which which's the ultimate slumberland Ooh, record no one, for you no one ever asks me questions hmm. well i'm mixing it up yeah i like that um <laughs> Let's see. You know, I, I guess you, you kind of got to go with the first one that comes to mind without thinking of it too much. And and I kind of back to Mike's point. It, for me, it's like, when did it come out? When did I how did I first hear it? Uh, you know, what was the what was the talk at the time? And it, it, it probably is that Velocity Girl single for me. That was kind of my my start into like, what is this mysterious label? How can I find more about it? And obviously there's been so many great releases after i mean glenn's stuff i every time he releases something which i think is about every 15 minutes right now i send him a <laughs> message and i'm like you got to stop because i keep buying everything and i keep loving everything and so for me that was probably if i was to tell somebody it would honestly it would probably be okay can i say three sure okay <laughs> i would probably say summer at land's end because that that blows me away every time still and and yeah i know it's new and there's a little recency there but um no i think i think it just it's the it's like the modern slumberland to me um i got to say that the umbrellas and and again maybe a little bit self-serving because i did speak to them and um we're on the eve of their episode coming out but i just i think it i think it just kind of like it's like this package from 1995 that got delivered in 2021 to me 
and, and I don't know. So that means something. And then I think probably the top one totally. would, be, would be the Velocity Girls single because I just it, it just I I hadn't heard anything like that. And you know they were they were from the East Coast, and there was just this mystique about about the label for me personally at that time. I feel like we sh- I would mention uh, Eiler set. Yeah, like I feel like that. Yeah, for that that era of Slumberland, it really was like a big powerful magnet you know um for indie pop and uh yeah it had kind of the best of of what had come before too but they were such a great band and and people were really like reacting to them yeah i mean i think if i got to pick more than one like the last match would certainly you know be way up there i mean that to me is like I it's just it's in the canon you know like there is just it there's nothing quite like it sure sure yeah I was listening to Eiler set on while I was eating my ramen for lunch today (laughs) the timing is really good uh you said lunch and my stomach started growling oh no (laughs) well if it helps it wasn't very good does that help (laughs) yeah it was actually not very good at all um so I you know I was I doing my research I was reading quite a bit about I ran to a couple times where it mentioned that um that you you I'm sure you get quite a few demos have gotten probably more <laughs> than we can ever imagine but yet you really don't you don't really pick based on the demos it's more about what you've heard and what you like and things like that um what is it I guess it's kind of a two-part question what do you look for in an artist that you're that you're looking at releasing so that's kind of one half of it and then the other half of it, you you may have kind of touched on it real briefly earlier, but is there anybody that you passed on that you really kind of kick yourself now looking back on it? <laughs> um, yeah, there's a, probably a few. Um, Bell and Sebastian, maybe. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> well, we... Um, I mean, not to tell a, a super long story about it. That's, but, a, uh, that's a serious miscalculation. Is that, <laughs> is that a true story? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like they said, oh, can you please put our records out? But um, Nami and I met Stuart Murdoch and fun, like perfectly enough at a teenage fan club show in San Francisco. Um, and he was living out in San Francisco for a summer. Um, and uh, he was just like he just turned to us and he's like aren't they amazing you know with his scottish accent i can't do a scottish accent and uh nami is like yeah they're our favorite band he's like mine too and she's like hey are you from scotland and he said yeah and they got to talking and um nami had a radio show on klx back then it was the um cal's radio station and uh she said oh, why don't you come in and play some of your songs, you know? And he's like, all right. So he came in and and brought an acoustic and played, I presumably some other, you know, the early Bell and Sebastian songs on her show. We can't find the tape of it. She did, she used to tape every show. So it does, it is taped somewhere. And then uh, after the show, we went out and got burritos and we went back to our (laughs) house, our, our apartment and listened to records for a while and like drank some beers. And then we took them to the bar. And um, like maybe a year later or something, um, we got some copies of uh, of the first record in the mail from him, like a co- two copies of, of it and with a note. And he's like, oh, here's one for the station and here for you. And, you know, thanks for your hospitality. And we were both like, who is this? Like, we couldn't, <laughs> I just kind of forgot that, that about that whole experience. Um because we used to have a lot of bands come and stay with us. We were kind of like an indie rock hotel and like touring bands would crash with us all the time. So it wasn't unusual to have musicians we didn't know very well, like sleep in our living room and hang out, listen to records and stay up late drinking whiskey. And that whole scenario was like kind of how we lived. So it took a hot minute to even remember like who are Bell and Sebastian. And, and uh, eventually we put it together, but I don't remember, like we didn't immediately spin the record. And then if you're feeling sinister came out and everyone was talking about it and we're like, wait, that can't be the same band, that guy, that he was nice, but really? And it was just the funniest thing. And, you know, of course it's a pretty good record. Um, oh, yeah. oh my gosh. Well, I haven't heard of them. It, yeah, Bell and Sebastian again? I, I don't know. <laughs> so it wasn't a case of like, oh, we turned them down. But right. I had the feeling, you know, if I had written back and said, oh, my God. If you would have paid attention, that. Mike. You if I had paid, paid attention. attention. <laughs> oh, man, that's the story of my life. But, you know, honestly, like, 
I can never keep up with with my own taste and I can never keep up with the amount of like great music that my friends make. And it's just really hard to, I, I mean, you say I don't really pick up bands from demos and it's not because I don't get any good ones. It's just, I, I always think about my friends first and people I know or my friends' friends or, you know, local bands that I've seen play with my friends. And, you know, that kind of goes back to, you know, that community thing. And I always think about that first. And it's very rare that I'm like, okay, I need to find a new band, <laughs> you know, right. like it's almost, almost never really, you know, I, the, the level of activity of the label kind of rises and falls with how, much music my friends are making really mm -hmm. and what i'm what am i hearing and liking and um it's just kind of how it works and you know i do i i i can't put out everything that i like um it's just not possible and it used to be like a big criterion for me especially when starting out was um will anybody else put this out you know is this like a record that i have to put out because there's kind of no one else to do it. And that was, it felt like more of the case at the beginning when I, f I felt like there weren't a lot of US indie labels that were putting out bands like The Lilies or Small Factory or mm -hmm. Honey Bunch. Um, I mean, there were there were some, you know, there was Picture Book and Parasol and Kay was doing some stuff like that, but there wasn't a lot. And it felt more um, like we were filling this kind of pressing need to, you know, to kind of like put out these records in, in the United States. Um, now that I don't think that really applies. I mean, pretty much like everybody likes everything and the internet <laughs> has taken down all the, all the barriers and, you know, so I don't really think about that so much anymore, but I do feel like, I do think a little bit about again, going kind of going back to the story that I'm trying to tell and, or that we're all trying to tell and does, you know, will this record kind of fit into that story? It, does this band like have that kind of extra certain something that kind of like really just grabs me? Mm -hmm. um, does it kind of transcend the genre that, that they're playing in? Um, like, would I, would I love the record even if I maybe like, was not like an indie pop person, you know, mm -hmm. like, but I still love this record, you know, and like some, a band like the umbrellas, like, yes, you know, like to me, it's a no brainer, you know, they're like the pastels in that way. Like you don't have to love that, that style of music to love that band and to get why they're special. Um, and I feel like I, that's something that I kind of strive for in, in putting together the roster or the catalog or whatever is, you know, do those records kind of reach beyond the genre and kind of demand to be heard and find, you know, their fans outside of that. And that's important to me. Wow. Well said. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be like a, a, a double-edged sword. So, you know, you, you want, you want to release everything that you like because you think that it deserves to be heard and, and it fits into the story. But, you know, I, I was just reading about some of your, some of your just, the challenges of running a small label i mean you you've got to you got to worry about the money you got to worry about the production you got to worry about all these different things so you you only got so many resources so much time in the day so it's got it's got to present challenges of of what do i put out what don't what don't i put out when do i put it out um you know life's hard yeah it is i mean it is hard and yeah. you know the challenges of running an independent label in 2022 right. are pretty well documented mm -hmm. um outside of this podcast sure. um but you know kind of going referring back to what you said earlier that you, you kind of appreciate the diversity of the label and you can't really pigeonhole it and i think that that's something it's like a blessing and a curse in a way you know and in a way if we were just a more straightforwardly and indie pop label like people kind of know what to do with your records and if, or if you were like more of a post-punk label or a power pop label or whatever, it, it just makes it a little bit easier to tell that story to the press or to radio or, you know, to people who are just kind of hearing about your label or some of the bands. Um, mm -hmm. And the diversity, which is important to me, is makes it a little bit more challenging, I think, to, yeah. you know, to kind of tell the whole story, I guess. And to, you know, to help people make sense out of it. Um, 
but it wouldn't be as fun for me if it wasn't as diverse, you know, and I mean, I can't put out all the kinds of music I like, you know, I'm into techno or I'm into jungle or I'm into house or jazz or soul. And, you know, I, I can't imagine that I'm really going to put out all those kinds of records, but I'd like to at least get somewhere towards representing, you know, the breadth of what I like about like independent <laughs> rock music. Sure. So, uh, Glenn, the, the next question is yours. I, I actually think it fits pretty well into what Mike was saying. Yeah, I think he, he kind of answered that one, too. Um, Way ahead how, of you, man. How, how, <laughs> reading my mind. How, how important is is it that uh, bands fit into the into this label's aesthetic? I mean, are there are there some outliers that you can think of in the catalog that are like, well, that's like the farthest out Slumberland has gotten. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess so. I mean, I guess, you know, you could look at like the Wax Idols album as being something that, you know, it doesn't immediately have a, a lot of like sonic similarity to, <laughs> to other stuff on the label, um, you know, or, or weekend records. Um, and, you know, the girls' names records are a little bit different as well. But, you know, to me, like, or that's what makes it interesting. Like, that's mm -hmm. what makes it worth doing. Um, if it was just a shoegaze label, or if it was just an indie pop label, for me, it just wouldn't be as interesting. I, I feel, would feel kind of confined by it. Um, yeah, and I think, and I think it would be hard to break out of it. You know, I, I think once, once you start going down a particular road, the further you get down the road, I, I could imagine the harder it would be to 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 change that up. And you've you've kind of kept that diversity throughout. So it does give you some freedom to say, okay, the next thing that comes in that I really like, I'm just going to do because I've already done so many different styles and types and things like that. So it goes into the story. It, the, the story concept just kind of keeps coming back to me at least. Yeah. And I, you know, and I, I, I just, I personally like the freedom of it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, at this point, and again, <laughs> how hard it is to run an independent label in 2022, it, it's really like being able to tell that story and the, the aesthetic satisfaction that I get from the records and, you know, the pleasure of like seeing other people connect with them. Like that's kind of the whole payoff really. Like there really is nothing else for me. Like that's, that's why I do it. Um, and, you know, again, it's not like nobody else would put out any of these bands records. I kind of feel like now pretty much every, every band could find a home somewhere else and could find a label that would appreciate them. But um, I just, you know, it, it's like the breadth of it and, or depth. And, you know, I don't want to make too, too much out of it because, you know, it's not like we're this like incredibly diverse label, like, whoa, I can't believe they put these records out. But in having it be like a little bit unpredictable to me is what makes it fun. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it has to be fun. Otherwise there's just absolutely no reason to do it. It's just, no it's just so much work. <laughs> I think you need to get back into your, um, noise uh rock phase and without I, some noise rock bands i totally agree i i think about that kind of stuff a lot actually um i've started playing guitar again a little bit um after uh embarrassing myself on stage with the umbrellas a few times i feel like i need to start playing a little bit and get my fretting hand back into you know, <laughs> back into shape and uh i've definitely been thinking about like I need to be in a noise band again. Like I miss doing that. I miss making a racket. Um, There's kind of a revival right now going on. Have you heard Chat Pile? That band's yeah. pretty raging. They're great. And I'm, you know, I think about. I was listening to the Cows the other day, um, and I was just thinking, like, I miss like playing shows with those kinds of bands. And you know, I, it's just really different. It's a different crowd. It's a different vibe. I really hope you enjoyed this first of two episodes of the Violent Detroit podcast, where I had a fantastic discussion with Mike Schulman of Slumberland Records, as well as uh, being joined by my very special co-host, Glenn Donaldson of the Reds, Pinks, and Purples. Uh, please go ahead and listen to the second episode. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Uh, we hit a really nice stride at that point. Uh, we were talking about all kinds of things like uh, the pains of being a pure at heart and, uh, and others. So, 
uh, go ahead and give that next episode a listen. I, I guarantee you, you won't be disappointed. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Hey, where have you been? It's so good to see you again. I was drunk on the streets of Chicago for 14 days on end. I remember you said you can count on me as a friend. I was in